Hey everybody, welcome back to the Shuttle Pod. This is Brian, and I'm here with Matt. Hey Brian, hey guys. And Matt and I are tag teaming this particular episode, and we're going to try something a little different today. Mm -hmm. We are going to do the very first ever Shuttle Pod audio commentary. Woohoo! Hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's a little slow in Trectum at the moment, and we've been throwing around this idea for a while of doing one. Mm-hmm. So we've decided we are going to do Balance of Terror today. Oh, yeah. Which is a favorite of both mine and Matt's. Probably a top 10 TOS episode. Uh, undoubtedly, yeah. Yeah, and a strong contender for probably one of the top 50 Star Trek episodes ever. Oh, totally agree with that. A lot of what the f- series is about and what what it would become mm-hmm. is very present in this episode and it's pretty remarkable considering how early in star trek's run this episode takes place mm-hmm. and how early was that brian what episode was this speaking of yeah this is the eighth episode produced of the original series and the 14th that was broadcast there's a little discrepancy i think among some whether this is the eighth or the ninth but this was the eighth <laughs> yeah. episode of the series proper, meaning yeah. that when the series officially was greenlit after the second pilot and went into official series production. Right. So this was, like I said, the eighth episode produced. This is the 14th one broadcast. And in case you're wondering why that might be the case, it's most likely because of all the visual effects in this episode. Yeah. And there are plenty. There are quite a few. So I think we should just uh, think about getting right into this. What do you think, Matt? Sure. All right. So here's the deal. I will count down from, I guess, five, and then you can press play on your streaming service or your Blu-ray or your VHS. <laughs> your VHS. Yeah. Roll that 16-millimeter print you have from that convention <laughs> yeah. you, back in 74. That's right. Um, and so that's how we'll play it. So stand by in five Four, three, two, one, zero. All right, so we are into it. Here we go. We've got your typical standard establishing shot of the Starship Enterprise. And then we go into something. Not so standard. Yeah. No, no. You don't see too many wedding ceremonies in Star (laughs) Trek. No, not really. And this is an interesting thing that, of course, is this is the sort of non-denominational chapel that we see a couple of times in the Mm -hmm. original series. And and Kirk alludes to how this is among our many beliefs. Yes. I find that interesting. It is. And they talk about Earth outposts here. Mm -hmm. And that is because they haven't quite figured out yet what a star base is. Yeah. Terminology isn't quite settled yet. Yeah, yeah. There's a few command they they call it command base outpost. Yep. They don't they haven't really locked into things yet. As we said, it's the eighth episode of the series. So So the wedding vows that we see here or the words that Kirk uses end up being reprised mm-hmm. in TNG. Yes, they when, do. When Picard marries O'Brien and Keiko in Data's Day. Which was a nice touch. I assume Ron Moore is responsible for that. Oh, I'm sure. And then this actress, who plays Angela Martine, of course, actually mm-hmm. shows back up again in Shore Leave. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. And I think they actually forgot that, who that was, and they cast her, and they were like, oh, wait, we better change her name <laughs> <laughs> back to the other person that we used before. Yeah. She was married to the casting director of Star Trek, Joe DeGosta. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. All right. There we go. Kirk Condition red. Of, Kirk is officially in battle mode. Yep. <laughs> and the Carters, at this point in the series, and this early in, in the season, the Carters are pretty packed with people. Ah, yes, I know. That's one of the hallmarks of, say, that versus season three, right? Where they're empty yeah. as heck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, season three feels like the Enterprise is run by ten people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Oh, budget cuts. That's actually a fun thing that I like that Nick Meyer did, say, in Wrath of Khan, whereas he put a lot of people back in doing stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of people. And obviously in the motion picture, there's a Kirk addresses an enormous Huge amount crew. of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something that's missing. So this episode is written by Paul Schneider, who would also go on to write The Squire of Gothos. Oh, yeah. And the Terratin incident from the animated series. Oh, yes. And it was also, and it was directed by Vince McEvity who is a veteran of the series and yeah. did quite a few. He's directed six episodes altogether. S- six episodes. Yeah. Romulus and Remus, everybody. Yep. They lean pretty heavily into the Roman yes. <laughs> theme. Yeah, if you didn't get it. Throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Schneider said that his idea for the Romulans was what would have happened had the Roman Empire survived and developed spaceflight. Yeah. What would they have, it's a good, would they have been like? It's a good conceit for sure. It is. It is. It makes it relatable. It's a, it is. It's a bit on the nose. Yeah. But it absolutely works. Later on, we'll get things like people referencing the Praetor, which again is pretty like if you didn't get that. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Styles. Ah, yes, Styles. And here He's we like, get some state of the art 1966 graphics. Yeah, some classic <laughs> graphics for you. <laughs> But I'll tell you, that graphic that was used everywhere, it was like in the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. It's, it was the definitive picture for a long time. For a long time. Yeah. When they redid this for the remastered episode, they, uh, they, they left this intact. Darn right. There's nothing wrong with it, you know? Yeah. 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 So here we are going to get a bunch of background on the Romulans and the previous conflict mm-hmm. and why there's a neutral zone. And obviously since this is the first time we're being introduced to the Romulan star empire, you need a ton of exposition in order to get the story rolling. Primitive atomic weapons, primitive atomic weapons. Yes. They, they allude to the great earth Romulan war. Mm hmm. That had no ship-to-ship communications and was fought with nuclear warheads, which kind of, kind of, we don't have to get into this now, but it does contradict what we saw in Enterprise. Yeah. Completely. I mean, I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense really. As soon no. as, as soon as Trek gets any bigger, you know, more established, it kind of doesn't make sense, but that's okay. right. Right. That's it's okay. fine. If for 1966, it made a lot of sense. We can get into this later, but this is one of those episodes where it's very clear that the Enterprise is on its own and the stakes are oh, about yeah. as big as they could possibly be. <laughs> Absolutely. It's definitely them defending the border, you know. Yeah. Lone lone commander's intuition and call, you know. Yep. Ah, Styles. Here comes Styles, yep. With his a hundred yep. year old prejudice, apparently. Yeah, which which is kind of ridiculous know, on its own. A little bit. But I guess you could you could pass, look, there's a lot of racism that's passed on. Yeah. It's intergenerational, so. Yeah. But it's a little weird. Yep. In, in in the in the rest of Star Trek it seems a little weird. But now as an isolated thing it makes perfect sense. So Styles is played by the actor Paul Comey who is, you know, character actor that did a lot of various TV shows back in the day. Twilight Zone, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. He was in The Towering Inferno. 
we see him here and then we never see him again. <laughs> nope. Which was a kind of a the way things were back in series television in those days. You know, you character would come in, play a large role in a, one particular episode and then they would just disappear into the battles of the Enterprise. <laughs> That's right. But that was typical of the day. Nothing unusual about that. No. And it happened in fair amount in TNG as well. Now, at this point, you're starting to see the weight of what's happening pressing down on Kirk. Mm -hmm. This is one of William Shatner's better performances in the entire series. He's really, really good in this. Definitely. I mean, just sitting here, just with the look on his face as he has to call battle stations, and you know, the weight of what that could mean. Yep. And here we go, phaser control. This is the weird kind of one-time only way we see phasers handled. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Again, something else that they hadn't quite figured out, or maybe they simply did this for for story purposes. Sure. Probably never know. To go back to the whole submarine motif that we'll talk about, I'm sure that it would be like loading, you know, loading real torpedoes and tubes. So they sort of went that direction. Right. And series of relayed orders in order to make that happen. Yeah. Um, the engine room in this episode, which is where I assume phaser control is. That's what it looks like, yeah. Yeah, is staffed with a lot of people, which is what you would expect the engine room of a starship to actually look like. And again, that's another one of these instances where it's early in the show's run. Bob Justman is you know, still trying to figure out what he needs and what he can get away with. Yep, you know? yep. So... But see, they got deflector shields as a nomenclature going already. That's yep. that's one thing. Disappeared. This poor bastard. This poor handsome, yeah. So there they talk about challenge, which I assume they mean a hail. Yeah, I assume so too. That's another version of a hail. Kirk will use that same nomenclature again later. And like I said, like we said earlier, they were still finding the finer details of the series. But although it really is just the finer details at this point. The show is remarkably polished. Yeah, it's in terms of the series concept and who the characters are and everything else is already there, almost right. completely. Here comes the bird of prey for the first time. Ah, and the bird of prey. Um, the bird of prey was designed and built by Wa Chang, not Matt Jeffries. No, that's right, Wa Chang, who also built the phasers. Right. Yeah, Wa Chang is many one of the great things. unsung heroes of Star Trek. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. One of the many geniuses that helped get this show off the ground. Seriously, one of the many. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, It has what is a typical Star Trek ship design. It's got the dorsal section and a couple of warp nacelles for Mm -hmm. propelling it. And that are round. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's definitely a, a look that has remained consistent pretty much throughout Star Trek's history. This is obviously the first time we see a cloaking device. 
which ups the stakes even further. And I find it interesting that they also, it's never quite clear how it works because they can seem to detect it through one form of sensor, like a motion sensor, but they also can't see it. Right. So it sort of can be sensed, but it sort of can't, which is interesting and a little unclear. But Well, I guess it's all about finding other ways of picking up the signal. Obviously, you can't see it, so you have to look for ion traces and whatever other... <laughs> to, quote a, to quote a really bad line from Star Trek VI, well, the thing's got to have a tailpipe. Right. Well, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Yeah, I know. And then there's that interesting conceit where... They take the gas, and it seems to be true based on the dialogue on the Romulan vessel that they can't really see through their cloak, really either. They're not right, so like right. when the Enterprise starts following them, they can't really discern what it is either. Right. And the cloaking device's appearance actually introduces a certain amount of Star Trek uh, continuity, in that the. Romulan possession of the cloaking device is a plot point in the third season episode, The Enterprise Incident. Yes, it is. When Kirk and Spock undertake this covert mission to steal a cloaking device. A cloaking device. Which conveniently looks a lot like Nomad and Sargon and stuff <laughs> put together. But that's a whole other commentary. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's small enough for Kirk to tuck under his arm and beam out with. <laughs> but here comes here comes Styles and yelling about Romulan spies. Yeah, he gets super paranoid here. Which of course there was a deleted scene where Hansen actually thought maybe there were spies that stole Starship blueprints. So that's kind of that's a callback that's not a callback anymore because that's a deleted right. scene. Right. Yeah. But they. <laughs> yeah. They. Yeah. Hansen speculates that the, this was. I think it was never filmed. It was just written that. Hansen speculates that the bird of prey was designed from stolen Starfleet, Starfleet. blueprints. Yeah, hence, hence so. the sort of nacelles that are round and the right, right kind of thing like that. Yeah, which is a nice thing that they threw in there. Yeah, again, you can see why it's unnecessary and they tossed it, but right, it's a neat little bit of deleted scene trivia. Yep. And here we are on the bridge. Somehow they've hacked the Romulan system, basically, to like show what's going on on the bridge. Yep. And there's and Mark there's Leonard. Mark Leonard. Yeah. Making his first appearance on Star Trek. And holy crap, they look like Vulcans. Yeah. What's that about? Which is Uh-oh. a really nice touch. Uh oh, that hundred years of. Prejudice and Styles is getting inflamed over there. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> look at him getting all red-eyed. Yeah, I, Styles is kind of a ridiculous character. I mean, I know why they they. Yeah, I know why they have him there in this episode, but like, there's no way you would let someone behave just just the general behavior. Forget about his own personal feelings, just. Someone oh yeah, he this unprofessionally. Oh, he'd be dismissed from his post like <laughs> immediately, right, like right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although you know, he reminds me of another early first season uh, fo- person in the same seat. In fact, is is Dave Bailey was also sort of allowed to be really stressed out and kind of crazy. Yeah, poor before Bailey. he was dismissed. Yeah, no, poor Bailey. Well, though he went off with he went off on the Fasarius, so I assume he's having yeah. fun right about now. Yeah, he he's he's hitting the Tranya pretty hard. <laughs> This is a fantastic line. Yep. Leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no, no room, room for it on the bridge. On the bridge. Yeah. Yep. That's really like right there. That's the one reason for Styles to exist is to make to set that line up and make it right. really clear. Honestly. Right. And it, and it establishes a, a core tenant of Star Trek. Exactly. Right there. It's worth it <laughs> for that character. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and obviously racism is still a terrible thing now. It was even more pronounced in the mid-60s. So,
the visual effects in this episode are not bad. No, they're really not, especially because this is the first time they use a lot of this stuff instead of like the 20th, 13th, 100th yep. time that they reuse the footage. This is true. So the Romulan bridge officers are wearing helmets, and that is because putting <laughs> helmets on them would save the trouble of spending all the time and money putting ears on everybody. Yep. They don't just also, look cool. They're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think they also this is a trick that they used in a mock time as well. Some of the Vulcans that come out, especially those big beefy dudes that come out in the in the, oh, in yeah. the procession, I mm-hmm. think they're wearing helmets as well. So, so here we have the Romulan commander and the Centurion, mm-hmm. who have a very very similar relationship to Kirk and McCoy's. They do, yeah. Where the Centurion acts as a sounding board for the commander. And that bridge is remarkably cramped and unpleasant looking, which kind of drives home the submarine. Yes, dare we say submarine like. <laughs> yeah. It, there are there are many many obvious allusions to submarine movies and submarine combat in this Uh, the main plot of this episode is kind of pretty much taken straight from a movie called um the enemy below which starred Mm -hmm. robert mitchum Mm -hmm. and there's also elements of run silent run deep which is a great movie by the way yes uh directed by robert wise and it starred clark gable and burt lancaster so there's a lot of submarine stuff in this episode which of course would be a really a really obvious touchstone for audiences in the 60s right right much easier to associate yeah and this obviously would not be the last time they would try to bring a kind of submarine yeah style warfare to star trek in the wrath of khan yeah most famously wrath of khan yeah right so maybe we should talk about mark leonard a little bit we should because he's a fantastic actor yeah Mark Leonard was a great character actor. He did a lot of theater work in New York, um, including some Shakespeare, which he, I think, worked with John Gilgut in a production of Much Ado About Nothing. And I always thought that he would have been an amazing Shakespearean actor. He just has oh, that, yeah. Center yeah. Of, that center of gravity to him and that voice that it's like oh, he's almost tailor-made for the bard. <laughs> <laughs> He well, really as we is. know, as we know, Shakespearean actors usually do quite well with Star Trek That's because true. of the, you know, unique language and yeah. style that you need to yeah. have. Yeah. I don't think he did a lot of heavy Shakespeare work, but he did no. some, he did it. He was, he did a lot of Broadway and then he came out to Los Angeles and, and did like a ton many, of TV. Yeah. Ton of television. He did yeah. a lot of television. Yep. So they're continuing this cat and mouse game here. Yep. You would never be allowed to have an episode like this on TV now. The oh, because there's so much be... dead, dead, quote unquote, dead space here. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're just staring at a screen, hoping to see something. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of quiet moments here. And now we have a briefing where everybody practically leaves the bridge <laughs> in yeah. the middle of a combat situation yeah that, that that's, that's not unique to TOS. No, that's, you that's see a, that you see that in say, a lot of star trek that's a trope that definitely carries over to tng for example oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> i like this little bit when spock yes. breaks this thing and just crumbles that hardest substance known to them This is when things start to get really, really serious. Oh, yeah. And here, we learn that Romulans are very likely an offshoot of the Vulcans. Yep. And I think this might be, I could be wrong, but I think this is our first instance of learning that the Vulcans had been quite barbaric and savage in their past 
Yeah, that's definitely the very first. And as Spock points out, if they are Vulcan offshoots and if they are still savage, <laughs> then they are extremely dangerous. Yep. Yeah, Styles. I mean, he just. <sighs> like, he's going to get in Spock's face right now. Like, he should be dismissed right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And instead, Kirk's just like, well, sit down, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, look what he's doing. He's right in Spock's face. Yeah. Big time. And Kirk is just observing Spock's reaction more than anything. Later in the series, Kirk would have just thrown him out of the room. And I love the way Leonard plays this bit. Yes. It really, he tries to convey just it's how very dangerous the Romulans. sincere, yeah. Like, yeah, could be. Like, look, if you let us unleash, you you would not want to face us. And that's my, yeah. that's probably what they are, so. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which is, to be honest, I've always been surprised that the Romulans are not more of a big Star Trek villain. Because well, they really should have been, honestly. They really should have been. Yeah. They're far more interesting in many ways than the Klingons are. I mean, if you've got a bunch of an aggressive species with the intellect of the Vulcans. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's seriously dangerous. Yeah. That's very dangerous. So we've got this book. I know. Table of Comets, it says on it. So this is an anachronism, you know. Even for even for Star well, yeah, Trek, yeah, because across the table is one of the electronic clipboards, like the early pad thing. Right, and then he's got and a Spock book. is using it, and Spock is using a computer. Yeah, and then he hands right him a there. book. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So and of course, Spock a, being Spock is just like, put down the book, Jim. I know what this. I know yeah, what this yeah, comet is. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on this. Yeah. <laughs> and this, of course, is a really cool idea that hey, if it's invisible, it, but if it passes through a comet's tail, it's gonna be. You know, leave a wake. Gonna it's going to become it. visible. Yep. It's a great idea. Yep. And again, this is, goes back to what we haven't really talked about yet, but the cunning of these two commanders basically guessing and outguessing each other is just fantastic. Yep. And it's about to come, you know, kind of to a head when we see that they really do guess each other's bluff. And it's gets kind of exciting. Despite yep. being a little slow, it gets very exciting in that regard. Like they wouldn't bother explaining modern TV. They would not sit there bothering to explain all the tactics and everything else. No, which is actually a shame because you know that's yep. a, that's good stuff right there. It's interesting. Yeah. Yep. And here's the Roman commander putting two and two together quite quickly and yep. going, "Nope." <laughs> this is a very very simple set. And of course, that whole reflection thing is a huge clue, because while they can't really tell if that's specifically what's following them, it suddenly stops. That's not a good sign. <laughs> right, right. He is Mark Leonard is just remarkably good in this. Just has such a such a great sense of presence. He does. Just remarkable. And obviously, we don't have to go too much further in explaining that he's Sarek. He played Sarek, and is a proto. Probably one of the, besides Leonard Nimoy, is the prototypical example of what oh, yeah. Vulcan is supposed exactly. to be. Exactly like. those two, those two Leonards, you could say, define <laughs> indeed. <laughs> really define what it is to be a Vulcan. 
I think Mark Leonard was maybe four or five years older than Leonard Nimoy. Not much. Is that right? Wow, yeah, that's not that different. That. That's crazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little older, but not much. Five, not enough to be his father. Decade. Yeah, less than a decade. Yeah. yeah. And here comes our proximity phasers, which is a yes. sort of way to retcon the fact that it behaves more like what would become photon torpedoes. Right. Yeah, and they they look like photon torpedoes when they, they do. Yeah, leave the ship, and they again going back to the submarine analogy, they they function like depth depth charges. charges yep. Totally. Oh, the Centurion just bit it. <laughs> just got crushed with debris. Sad. <laughs> Sad day. And I love when they, they move that big piece of set. Like, yep. It's so obviously styrofoam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Somebody spray painted some styrofoam, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll overlook it. And here comes some very discreet 60s circuitry that burned out on the bridge. <laughs> yep. And conveniently, that means they no longer have phaser control. Uh-oh. Huge plasma burst overtaking them. You would, you would think the Romulans would have run into an opponent before this that would have figured out that their weapon has limited range. Yeah, it's not really the best for sort of instant close quarters combat. Let's just say. No. See, and that's cool background stuff where he talks about jettisoning their logs in case they're destroyed. Yeah. That's just nice little detail. World building. dissipating Kirk grasps Rand in a very 60s leading man thing that oh yeah very much thankfully so. they drop after a few episodes I will save you fair maiden yeah there's the almost newlyweds and phaser fire control <laughs> yep Centurion. Yeah. Yeah. This commander is not one to repeat a mistake. They've learned. I love that. They're just outthinking each other. Yep. <laughs> and Styles shooting Spock's dagger basically out of his eyes. Like, this guy should not be on the bridge at this point. But what I. No, hell no. Like we said, like, just should not be there at this point. And of course, now they realize they've got mere minutes before they could violate the treaty. So it's time to go hunt them down before anyone crosses the zone. And again, there's just this 
you very you very rarely during the course of the original series see Kirk really dealing with a lot of pressure. Like he tends to like he he's de- he deals with it, but he kind of squares his jaw and just pushes forward. This is, episode is one of the few instances where you can actually see it wearing on him, and like yes. he's not quite sure what he's supposed to do. Yep. But we also go back to this feeling like they're, uh, you know, just out there on the frontier alone yep. with that whole delayed message telling Starbase Command or whatever they call it, because it's not Starfleet Command yet. Right. Yeah, they're very much on their own. Oh, we should point out that. Decius, who's basically his second in command, mm-hmm. is played by the same actor, Lawrence Montaigne, right? <laughs> who yep. will play Stan in a mock time. That's right. And who is the backup option to play Spock. <laughs> That's if, right. If if negotiations with Leonard Nimoy did not work out for season two. Yeah, I think that's kind of funny and weird. Yeah, right? Like, okay, here's this guy. Well, they know he can play a Romulan slash Vulcan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they use him for it. And here, the Romulan commander gets cunning and decides to do some sort of fake, you know, fake out by ejecting debris and right. organic material. The, the husk left of the Centurion. Yeah. Sorry, Centurion. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a new a burial at sea of sorts. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> to go back to the nautical stuff. But it's also, again, the submarine analogy. Very it's much so. Chaff. It's <clears throat> yep. chaff. Yep. Designed to throw off the scent of a potential attacker. Right. And it works. Yeah, they slow up and they stop to scan it. I mean, it works. Yep. It works nicely. By the way, shout out to Jerry Finnerman, Star Trek's uh, cinematographer. Oh, God, yes. This There's is some really good stuff in this episode. Stuff. But, yeah, particularly during the, the first season when he, when he had a lot of time. Yeah. There's some great shadow work and he just... Yeah. A lot of TV shows did not look this good in those days. No, a lot of stuff was much flatter. This is really yep. got depth. and. Yep. And here again is the heavy on the submarine analogy that they need to power down and not be detected. And so they work quietly, (laughs) literally and figuratively, as it turns out. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, (laughs) I mean, I can understand the need to, like, maybe turn off non-essential systems. Right. Which that makes sense. But the whispering part is. The whispering part makes no sense if you're in the vacuum of space. Yeah, it's silly. (laughs) But that goes with the, yeah, heavy on the. Heavy on the whole right. sonar, you know, detection analogy. Right, <laughs> right. And in the mid '60s, you know, it's they might just didn't want to assume that the average viewer didn't realize that sound did not travel in space. Who knows? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Again, a little silly, but totally fine, and of course works with the the motif of this episode. Yep. So can't really fault it. Oh, here we get a just a fantastic Kirk McCoy moment coming up. Yeah, one of my favorite moments. Probably in the entirety of Trek, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is just only one of each of us. It's just so good. Yeah. yeah. But this is probably the moment that I, where you really see just how 
stressed out he really is yeah i mean he even looks a little more tired than than yeah. you know he did a few minutes ago you know and it just yeah. yeah what if i'm wrong what if i'm wrong yeah love that why me but again this is like it just shows like how strong the character dynamics in the series already were mm-hmm. in episode eight yeah, I love the way D just puts his hand on his shoulder and just starts talking to him. Yep. It's also a rare kind of sentimental moment from Leonard McCoy. <laughs> it's true. People always think of him as maybe a little more crusty than that, but it's not. But that's not nah, true. Nah, you know. he's a big softy. Yeah. McCoy is a softy. He is. on the. We know that on the inside. Yep. as he would throughout the entire series McCoy acts as a sounding board for Jim Kirk Mm -hmm. psychiatrist whatever you want to call him but that that's his one of his many roles well Spock oh Spock so careless activating that library computer when he shouldn't have Kirk sees an opportunity. And of course, Tails is like wants to jump up and like throttle Spock for that as he jumps up out of his seat. Like, that's crazy. All right, time to blanket them wherever they are. I think at this point, Kirk knows he's got him yeah because he knows he's, he knows they're about to make like a run for the enterprise so he just lays yep. down fire yep the praetor's finest proud proudest yep. flagship beaten oh my This is actually quite clever. I like this of him. He puts more debris in and then hides a nuke, a leftover yep. nuke. <laughs> it's a brilliant maneuver. Yeah. I mean. And of course, they're just like, ah, it's more wreckage, whatever. You know, we know it's nothing. Uh-oh. One metal cased object. I love how the bridge lights go out and all you can see is the red alert. Yep. Blinking. And the Enterprise limps back from space. Yep. Now the weary Romulan commander can go home. Yep. They gave the character, they gave the Romulan commander, like, dimensionality he's a fully realized character he's not just a yeah because here he's like weary yep the young buck says they should just you know finish them and he's like i just want to go home before we run out of fuel (laughs) but you kind of you understand who this man is he's not just a stereotypical you know teeth gnashing villain you get who he you get right his motivations and right Which gives what happens at the end far more of an emotional payoff. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Styles can redeem himself by joining weapons control. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
And I think it's important to point out that here we get to see Uhura step up and man a post. Yep. And you know what's cool about this? I don't know if you noticed, but like Uhura turns off her console and probably activates it over at the navigation center. I mean, they don't obviously say that, and but she turns off her console before yeah. she leaves it. Yeah. So it makes you wonder if she just transferred all control for communications to the navigation console. Because she opens a hailing frequency later where she presses it on the navigation console. Ooh, so. I don't know that. That's good looking out. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, they should be yeah. able to, right? In theory. Yeah, they should be able to, but that's pretty forward thinking for 1966. It is. That's right. Yeah, that is. That's the kind of thing you think of in TNG when they can just transfer, you know, touch yeah. the interfaces around. But they right. not. Yeah. Here's more just obvious insubordination talk from Styles there. Yep. Like, no, he's your superior officer. Uh oh. Phaser coolant seal leaking. Trouble. What's going to happen? Wow. What's going on? Styles. Fire, darn it. Gee, you don't think Spock is right down the corridor? I can actually maybe save Styles. Learning a lesson, a valuable lesson. Indeed. They be beaten. Yeah. Does not look good over there, huh? No. So you see Uhura open up. You saw yes, Uhura open yes. up. Yes, yes. I didn't even there. think about it, but yeah, she totally does right there. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's this motif from this episode of characters opening the scene with their back to the view screen and then dramatically turning around <laughs> yeah hansen does it earlier does and, it. And, the, and the commander does it here here's a great moment here you and i are of a kind yeah is it reality the, i could have called, called you friends friend. which is such a star trek idea yeah absolutely So this was the, as we said, the introduction to the Romulans, and we only saw them one more time in the original series. I know it's crazy to think about. Yeah, in the third season, in the Enterprise incident, and then that was it. Really, they're mentioned, I believe, a few other times, but not seen. Oh, we might want to mention that 
right before the Romulan commander destroys his ship, there was a deleted scene there where Kirk salutes the commander and the commander, you know, gently nods his head at Kirk and then destroys the ship. Yep. And then, of course, Kirk gets that whole delayed message and they'll support whatever he needs to do. And Right. Which which is a great thing in that it would be... It's far more realistic, obviously. Yeah. Star Trek plays very fast and loose with subspace communications. When they need to speak to someone instantly, they speak to them instantly. And when it needs to take three weeks to reach Starfleet, There's it a, takes three weeks right. to reach Starfleet. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. But this is the way it would be. There would be... You know, the answer might not come for hours or days or weeks if you're on the frontier the way they were yeah and that has to be up to the captain's prerogative to do what he thinks is best right which is why starship commanders are such special people exactly (laughs) and there's poor Angela Martine who lost her hubby to be yeah the chapel set I believe is a readdress of the briefing room I think so I think that's right you don't see much of it, so it, it, you know. It's the same thing that gets turned into like the um, the place where the play is held in the conscience of the king, too. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. the briefing room gets redressed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And there we go. It never makes any sense. War. Yeah. Kirk. I like this. Kirk walks the decks of the ship. Yeah. 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 This is a very Captain Kirk kind of. When I think of him, this is one of the images I think of. Confident starship commander striding through a ship. Mm -hmm. And yet a little hint of weariness, too, from all of it. I like it. Yep. Yeah. Easily Bill Shatner's. One of Bill Shatner's best performances is Kirk. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our uh, little commentary sojourn today. Hope we didn't bore you to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, hopefully Um, this was at least entertaining enough. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it was worth your while to to stop and listen to us. We thank you if you did. And uh, if you did like what we did, we probably would be better the next time. (laughs) So if you want to hear more... (laughs) Let us know. Give us some feedback. Let us know. Okay. So uh, this is Brian and Matt signing off. Talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.